Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Acts 8. Persecution is an interesting thing to discuss in our time and in our culture. By no means should we ignore it or act like it doesn't exist among us in 21st century America. It does. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have most likely dealt with some level of pushback uh, to your faith. But we also have to be honest and admit that what we have seen in our culture is something that is different from what we're seeing in Acts 8. We have not seen a level of persecution that we're going to see in Acts that we see even today around the world or throughout history. I mean, verse 3 says that Saul was ravaging the church and he's dragging off Christians to prison. And even we just read about Stephen being killed. That's just not happening in our culture and hasn't been happening in our culture for what feels to us like a good length of time. And so we need to think about persecution because the other thing that we talk about in our culture is that it seems like persecution is coming. And we should even be careful saying that because if we're implying that persecution is not here at all, are we then desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Or if we're not being persecuted, that should raise some questions. But again, we just have to be historically honest that the kind of pushback uh, many times what, that we receive in our culture is not to the level that it, it has often been throughout the history of the church and even right now around the world. But the concern is, well, what if it gets there? What if we experience, I guess what... Uh, spiritual statistician might call a regression to the mean, right? Where the average is probably more persecution than what we're experiencing. At some point, we're going to go back to that average uh, of persecution for Christians throughout the world. And we see just hostile forces to Christianity in our culture. Well, what do we think about that? And one thing we need to be careful of is not to be afraid. We should not fear persecution because one of the things we're going to see in Acts 8 that I would say is not just true in Acts 8, but this is an always principle that we're going to see from this passage is that the opposition of man cannot stop the spread of the gospel. The opposition of man cannot stop the spread of the gospel. And let's see how we see that in Acts 8. It starts by introducing us to this man named Saul, who will become, spoiler alert, a prominent figure in the rest of the book of Acts and the New Testament. More on him tomorrow. But what we see today is that he is leading this persecution of the church. And it's taking place primarily in Jerusalem. And so then the believers are scattering throughout Judea and Samaria. And Saul is ravaging the church, it says in verse 3, and entering house after house, he, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now check out verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So the persecution scatters believers, but what does the scattering do? 
Well, it scatters the gospel. Instead of all being in Jerusalem, now they're going to all kinds of places and wherever they're going, which is now multiplying because they're scattering, they're bringing the gospel with them and they are declaring the gospel. So there we see in the history of the early church, persecution, even though it's scattered believers, which on one level you look at it and like, that's a sad thing. Well, God used that to spread the gospel. And then what we see uh, in this chapter, we need to consider in the next two main things that will happen in this chapter. First, we're going to see the gospel spread in Samaria, and the one who's going to lead both of these things is Philip. The gospel is spread in Samaria, and then he shares the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, you should remember a key verse in the book of Acts comes back in chapter 1, where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Most of what we have seen so far is them being witnesses in Jerusalem and in maybe some parts of Judea. Well, now it's going to spread to the other parts of Judea and we're going to see Samaria. That's the big bulk in the middle of the chapter and even the ends of the earth. And we'll see more of that with Paul as he travels all around the Roman empire. But here, Philip he shares the gospel and leads this Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, who then is going to take the gospel with him to the ends of the earth, to the very distant lands of Ethiopia. At least they would have considered at that time, probably the ends of the earth. So even in this chapter, we're starting to see what Jesus said get fulfilled. The gospel is going to be spread in Sumeria, in Samaria and to the end of the earth. So a couple things to note though about the spread of the gospel in Samaria, Peter and John come down. And they come down in verse 15 says they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So they they lay their hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it Likely, it doesn't say here, but likely, like we see the Holy Spirit fall on the Christians in Acts 2, there there may have been some manifestation to show that they got the Spirit because then this Simon guy, he thinks it's pretty amazing. Uh, So he wants to buy this, this ability. And I would just say, as we read that, this is not something that I think we should consider normative. Some Christians uh, even teach that, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit is kind of a second blessing that comes after we're converted to faith in Christ. Because look, here it is in Acts 8. And that's where some chapters in the Bible are describing things. Other chapters in the Bible are telling us how things are or how they should be. And a passage like Romans 8 makes it clear. If you don't have the spirit, you are not saved. And so what's going on here? We'll notice this. It happens in Acts 2. We're going to see it here with Samaria. We're going to see it again, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Gentiles later. And I think these are unique things happening in this unique time as the early church is established and as the gospel is spreading to new groups of people. It is met with this divine affirmation and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now what we should see is as Christians put their faith in Christ, 
they receive the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's how it works. And again, Romans 8, other passages uh, that we'll see as we continue reading through the New Testament, I think should lead us to that conclusion. But one thing we should be warned about here uh, is this Simon the Magician character that we see in this. And it says that he believes, but like we saw in John, it doesn't seem that all who say they believe actually turn out to be genuine believers. And we see some problems with Simon because he He wants to buy basically the power to give people the Holy Spirit by laying his hands on people. And Peter responds in verse 20 very strongly. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. So there, there's a strong rebuke. And that gives us another warning that may be even more relevant for our culture, because we do live in a culture where there are still a lot of vestiges of Christianity and Christianity, even in some places, is thought thought of well. And even you you get a part of a a church culture and that culture can prize the right things. And so there's a danger, a serious danger of ulterior motives in the Christian life. There's the danger that even in a certain environment, we may want something that is good, but want it for the wrong reasons and even try to use the wrong means to get it. Here, he wants the flash and the power of giving people the Holy Spirit. Today, it could be all kinds of things. People want respect. People want a position in the church. People want praise within the church. And that is really what they are after more than they are after Christ. And we see how strong that is spoken against here. Well, that needs to be spoken against strongly here, even on this podcast. Why are you involved in your church? Is it so you can be praised? Is it so people can look to you? Is it because uh, you want some position or some accolades or some honors? If if that's true, you need to heed that warning. And see, that could be the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity in your life. And that can be a problem, especially not just in a culture, but especially the the subcultures that can come up around different churches or different ministries, again, where there's good values. And so people want to be a part of that, but really what they want is the praise or the accolades, and it's not about the values. And I don't think the response that we see, even though commentators debate this, I don't think the response that we see from Simon is a good one, where he says, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. It doesn't seem like there's an ownership on his part of, yes, you're right, I am in sin. And I, I, I do repent of that. It's, well, why don't you you pray for me that, that those bad things you said don't happen to me? I don't think that's a, a response of genuine repentance. Finally, we see the perhaps more familiar story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch where he is directed, it says, by an angel of the Lord to this place where he meets this Ethiopian and he goes over and joins the chariot and the man just so happens to be reading Isaiah 53. I mean, if that isn't an evangelistic opportunity on a silver platter, 
I don't know what is. But Philip leads this man to Christ by explaining to him. It says, uh, he opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning with this scripture from Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. And again, I think one thing we can take is something to apply, something to model. A good example in this passage is, could you, um, beginning with Isaiah 53, could you open up a Bible and, and show people the good news about Jesus? Because whether we see more of this kind of persecution or not, we should be proclaiming the gospel wherever we go. And to do that, we need, we should be able to use the Bible. We need to be versed in the scriptures to show people the good news about Jesus. And whatever happens, whether we see more of this kind of persecution or not, it is good for us to remember that the opposition of man cannot stop the spread of the gospel. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.